I saw my life branching out before me like the green fig tree in the story. From the tip of every branch, like a fat purple fig, a wonderful future beckoned and winked. One fig was a husband and a happy home and children. Another fig was a famous poet, and another fig was a brilliant professor. And another fig was E.G., the amazing editor, and another fig was Europe and Africa and South America, and another fig was Constantine and Socrates and Attila and a pack of other lovers with queer names and offbeat professions. And another fig was an Olympic lady crew champion, and beyond and above these figs were many more figs I couldn't quite make out. I saw myself sitting in the crotch of this fig tree, starving to death, just because I couldn't make up my mind which of the figs I would choose. I wanted each and every one of them, but choosing one meant losing the rest, and, as I sat there, unable to decide, the figs began to wrinkle and go black, and one by one, they plopped to the ground at my feet. Sylvia Plath in The Bell Jar Welcome to Redeeming Disorder, the podcast where we share real stories of mental disorder to overcome stigma, redeem perceptions, and start a conversation. Hello and welcome to the last episode of season one of Redeeming Disorder. I can't believe we've done a full season, Spencer. How about you? I'm so happy we did this. I want to say I'm so happy we did this season and we're going to do another season. I've loved doing this podcast and it's really meant so much to me, which we're going to touch on in our interview and through the rest of the episode. But I just want to say that it's really given given me clarity on what I want this mission to be and what I want to do for the world and for those who struggle with mental disorder in creating this space and in setting up this environment where we can overcome fear. And I think that's central to a lot of what's driven me and things that have been really present in my psyche where the passage I read to start this episode out is one of my favorites and it really speaks to me because I think for a lot of my life my biggest fear has been not reaching a certain potential, not doing what I could do with my life and seeing all these options and possibilities and having them wither away because I don't take action and really start putting out into the world what I want to, changing the world in the ways I want to. And this podcast, I feel like, is a small (laughs) step on that scale, but the first step toward actualizing that, which is so Mm -hmm. exciting for me. And I think that's central to the interview we're about to have, too. I'm so excited that we're about to interview my sister, Taryn Bledsoe, and get to talk to her about what she experiences with mental disorder and anxiety, depression, ADHD, but also about her childhood and past and her perspective on it, which I think is going to be so valuable for me personally, because I think a lot of what this podcast is about is hearing different perspectives and being able to embody them and think through those different possibilities, get the perspective that comes with those different possibilities. So just like you could be sitting under a fig tree 
and you could zig or you could zag, you can grow up in an environment and it can affect you in many different ways. And I think the ways in which our childhood affected Taryn are really important for me to learn from. I think it's sort of like a smaller version of what I want this all to be, which is a chance for us to learn from each other, a chance for us to hear each other's stories and know that sharing personal things brings fear with it, but that fighting through that fear and sharing has the value of allowing people to hear your perspective. I'm looking forward to watching you talk about that with your sister, because I think that it takes a lot of bravery, first of all, to talk about something so personal with a sibling and you, you can't necessarily control their perspective. And mm-hmm. and so taking that seat of just being a listener and an interviewer, I'm just excited to see what will come of that. And I'm excited to hear wh- what her perspective as being a girl, first of all, mm-hmm. and then also being your younger sister. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to dive in. Me too. I, the, the nervousness I feel about it is worth fighting through, I think. I think it's going to glean a lot of insights for me, I hope, for all of you listening. And let's get into it. So today I'm here with Laura and with my sister Taryn. And I'm so happy to have her here to go through this season, put a cap on it, talk about her and her experience and wrap this up. I'm really excited for this. So thanks so much, Taryn, for, for being here. Thank you, Spencer and Laura, for having me. It's been an awesome first season, and I'm super honored to be on the closing episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a you can come on whenever you want, and thanks so much. It's cool to hear that you've liked listening to it. I'm kind of curious, like, what your experience has been. What- yeah, is it weird hearing your brother, like, <laughs> on this podcast talking about such deep things when you've seen him yeah. do his most embarrassing things <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is strange we were talking earlier about like podcast voices and mm. I think I only re- like notice it because he's my brother but he just sounds so calm and relaxed on the podcast and <laughs> different than his real life voice mm. but it has been strange listening to it I put on the first episode and I think I was in a car and it was just like a quick drive to the grocery store. And then he started talking about our family and his history and I shut it off. And I was like, I can't, I can't be in public when I listen to this. Like <laughs> nobody talks about mental health in public. Why would I listen to my brother talk about his mental health and history mm. while I'm on the way to the grocery store? But throughout the season, I've gotten more comfortable just putting it on in the car and realizing that if someone overhears it what they don't even know what they're listening to and it's just amazing to have this conversation start in such a public Mm. casual way yeah that's cool i'm glad you said that it's weird to hear it being talked about so openly because that's like i guess kind of what we're going for we want it to sound weird we want to start talking about things that normally aren't talked about openly and i'm sure it's a double whammy for you listening because not only is it subject matter that's usually so taboo, but it's also, if you're hearing me talk, it's our subject matter and it's personal too. Our story story is very similar. So listening to it, I felt almost like I was listening to my story in a way. And I was, Mm. it made me think about my own history with it. And when did I first feel depressed for the first time and things like that? So it was strange, but I enjoyed it. And hearing you talk about it with other people and not just with me, it was a really neat experience. Did you feel like, a little pr- protective as a s- sister or not? <laughs> yes, <so much? laughs> I did. Actually, that's funny yeah. that you asked that. Because really? When it first started and you started talking about how um, 
our parents had conflicting opinions on medication, I got really angry. And I remember mm -hmm. feeling how I experienced the same thing. I was also put on medication young and there were conflicting opinions. And I was just mm -hmm. like, oh, I want to hug you now because I didn't <laughs> hug you when it was happening. But Well, yeah. same. And I mean, I've, I've told you this, but like I, I still have a lot of feelings. Like I know I didn't hug you then when I could have and when you were going through this stuff. And so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we don't have to jump all the way into the deep end three minutes into the podcast but but um uh, yeah i i'm really glad we do have this relationship now where we can be there for each other now uh, so sometimes it takes i think like going through something and and then stepping back uh, on your own and reflecting on it and then you're able to kind of go together and be like absolutely oh yeah that was really hard yeah <laughs> so yeah childhood, that's cool man. and it's crazy yeah we <laughs> we have half sisters but we're the only two with the same two parents and you know they obviously affected us in really different ways um mm -hmm. where even though there were the same figures around it was just the impact was really different when you went from yeah. between different parents um and so, yeah, I want to get into your experience with uh, not only with listening, but with how it made you think back. It made me realize that I couldn't remember my first feeling of being depressed and I couldn't remember the conversations about medication. I just kind of remember something was wrong with me, quote unquote, and then all of a sudden I was taking pills every day. Mm. And my my experience was slightly different because I'm very ADHD. And so I was on antidepressants as well as anti-ADHD yeah, ADHD medication. Yeah. So it was just strange to find out that our stories were so similar and you were having so many similar feelings at the same age as I did. And I didn't even know it because I had always felt like our, we were so separate in childhood and yeah. we were always on the opposite ends of the room. We never really like laughed or joked. And like, mm -hmm. it's funny that we mentioned the hugging because we didn't have a lot of physical contact. We didn't hug or snuggle a lot. We weren't very close. So I'm happy that, um, by hearing your story on the podcast, um, I got to learn more about you and connect with you more. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was good. It's true. I mean, we were always, I think, in these separate corners and I think we sort of just took that on as our identity it was often mm -hmm. said around us too like oh Taryn is the creative one Spencer mm -hmm. is the math one yeah and I I, we, I do think we got kind of boxed in and like went to our respective corners and <laughs> it makes me sad because I I you can't get that time when we could have been close back but yeah I am glad that there's some potential to redeem it now and I mean we've had like these conversations in private but I also didn't know everything you were going through and when I've heard some of it 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 really like shocked me because I just wasn't unfortunately um I wasn't really uh there for your emotional well-being I wasn't like always tuned in to how you're feeling all the time and I regret it yeah I mean that's been something that we've talked about a lot and you always end the conversation with you still regret not being there for me and I have to remind you here on this podcast that you I hope you can re let go of the regret because whatever happened when we were younger is over and we have this great opportunity to build an even stronger connection than we might have had when we were kids because of what happened and because mm -hmm. of all the drama and this and that so yeah I'm just hoping that we can get to a place where 
there's no regret at all. <laughs> well, I I can kind of relate. I feel like a little bit weird because I'm not a Bledsoe right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're honoring. Watching okay. you guys like connect in such a beautiful way. But um, but I can relate in when you go through really hard things, you're unable to be there for somebody else because you are just having to take care of yourself. And so I can relate to the regret of, oh man, I was a horrible sister or, or friend, you know, and, and ha- having to make peace with that is hard. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. Tough. I've had that thought loop around in my head several times of just, it's okay. You know, we're out of it. Move on. Just text him, just call him, you know, mm-hmm. we're, it's we're adults now. I can just text you whenever I want. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious also about just uh, what I can learn from going back to that time, because even though you can't actually go back and change anything, you can definitely change how you uh, perceived what was going on. And mm-hmm, I think absolutely. I have a lot that I can learn from your experiences just because, you know, I was there but I wasn't necessarily looking from your perspective or with your knowledge of the situation where there were a lot of things that happened that I probably didn't even realize how significant they were for you. Um, Yeah, and same for me because we kind of were at odds with different parents. And so it's, it's weird to look back on it and realize that as I was feeling this struggle with one parent, you were having a similar struggle with the other. And right. I didn't know that until we got older and started talking about it. So yeah. so yeah. I, do you want to go into sort of like some of those experiences that I just, I didn't realize what they were at the time, but you did? Yeah, I can touch on them a little. And it's funny because I even don't fully understand them. Um, mm-hmm. As that when Spencer first asked me to come on the podcast, my first thought was, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to talk about all these social issues and why growing up with a sexist and racist dad is so awful for all the females in America. But then we talked on the phone for about an hour and it was just ups and downs and (laughs) whatnot. But eventually I got to a place where I realized that I was trying to talk about it in a broader way because it's so hard for me to talk about it as my personal experience, because we don't ask people, how do you experience depression? How do you experience anxiety? We just kind of say, this is what it feels like. Go read this this blurb or this meme about what it's like to have a panic attack. But to be able to... Wait, I lost my train of thought. Oh, it was a great train of thought. <laughs> we, yeah. <laughs> we, Where did it start? You're talking that you... Uh, it's, it's hard to talk about your personal experience and you know, what, what's There it goes. My brain's like, stop. Don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Again, maybe. I think that's a real thing sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I definitely feel whenever I try to think about, um, my childhood and growing up with my dad, um, it all starts to get blank and fuzzy. Um, because I try very hard to block that out subconsciously. Yeah. Um, but it was just, it was just hell and I didn't realize it until I got older, but I, our parents were divorced. So we spent every other weekend with our dad and I would spend 95% of my time upstairs in my room watching TV, Disney channel and Nickelodeon were my best friends in those (laughs) days. And I just kind of 
ate a lot of macaroni and cheese from their microwave and drank a lot of Capri Suns. And I didn't think that it was damaging at the time because I thought it was kind of cool. I was like, oh, my mom makes me eat healthy food and my dad lets me drink Coke. So <laughs> sure, I'll go spend the weekend. Yeah, there. he sort of like swooped in and took the role of like, hey, you can do what you want. Yeah, absolutely. There were no boundaries um, at his house. But then there was also this weight of him. He just his presence makes me uncomfortable. Um, he makes me extremely anxious. And I think it's just because he has an internal hatred, I think, of women. He's pretty sexist and open about it. Um, mm -hmm. So he would just growing up say things that he thought were funny or helpful. Um, I don't know what he thought they were, but whenever we drive by a strip club, he would say things like, ooh, that's, that's my favorite place to go. And whenever we'd watch a movie with a very attractive female lead, he would always say like, mmm, delicious and just disgusting things about her yeah. body that a young girl doesn't need to hear um, women being objectified like that. And then as I got older, it got worse because he turned from all the women around us to me and he would comment on the size of my breasts and the way they were maturing and the, wor the worst of it was when I was getting in the shower and he just walked in. He always felt like he could enter my space whenever he wanted to. And he just said, wow, you're getting fat. And I remember being 12 and I was just like, that's not true. Like, what yeah. is that? Like, what is skinny? What, is all what does this even mean? And I think that's when I started to dissociate from him and my time there it became very that's when it started just being depression when I was there because I just I knew that he didn't make me feel good and I still wasn't exactly sure why um but I understood that he was not a friend of mine he wasn't helpful for me to yeah. be around I imagine you felt violated in some way but you didn't know the have the words to express like why you felt that way and yeah, absolutely. As I grew up and I thought about it and I, I'm so fortunate to be in therapy. Um, I've been in therapy since I was 10 or 12. Um, and I'm grateful for it. I have bounced around to a few therapists, but I found one now that, um, she gets me and she listens to me and she is able to, when I say, why did my dad feel the need to comment on the way I looked? She can explain it's, it's not even about you as a person. Yeah. You're a person you're a Terran he just has ideas about what a woman should look like and how a woman should speak and that got in the way of you guys forming a relationship yeah his problems stopped him from being a good parent and yeah uh, I mean really <clears throat> made him a sick parent to you and it's yeah I, I get so sad just hearing about it that I I was there you know but I when we were watching a movie and we saw some actress and he would go mmm or something I I thought it was annoying but I didn't even think you know what kind of emotional effect is that having yeah I didn't either because mom would she knew that he liked to talk during movies and would always joke about how oh I don't want to invite your dad over for a movie because he'll just talk the whole time yeah. and then I got older and I realized that the commentary was not only annoying but it's offensive <laughs> and I don't want to watch a movie with him either right but as a kid my a lot of the only ways I could spend time with him was watching movies and watching TV because he would come home, get a drink and um, 
just sit in front of the TV. And I either had to make the decision to isolate myself in my room and be away from that or attempt to build a relationship with him and expose myself to whatever he may say or do yeah. while he's drinking and watching TV. The TVs and you being in that room, just looking at that TV all day, it was like your only defense. And mm-hmm. it's, it's so sad. I mean, I just sort of like that, how that was our socialization and how, um, how it was just so, uh, such an alone, empty feeling you must've felt. Yeah. And it's, it's particularly hard actually right now in my life because that's a coping mechanism that I adopted Yeah, was isolating myself. And now I'm realizing that when I'm stressed or when I'm upset or hurt, I isolate and it's not healthy. Um, human, we need human connection and yeah. touch and voice. It's really important. And mm-hmm. my body just never learned the value of that. Um, I find greater value in watching an entire season of a show in one night than I do with having a 10 minute conversation with somebody. And I'm getting to a place where it's changing. I'm seeing a shift. I live in a small town now and I'm forced to make friends because I see these people every day and I kind of didn't know how good that was going to be for me when I moved here. I didn't really understand why I moved here. It was just a spur of the minute decision until a half a year in. I was like, wow, (laughs) these people care about me and they check up Mm -hmm. on me and they want to spend time with me and not just hang out in the house and watch movies like we can go hiking so yeah. it's it's fun to unlearn these well not fun but <laughs> the wrong term <laughs> but it's liberating to learn unlearn the things that I did as a child to yeah. make myself feel okay it's so cool that you just felt you needed to go there that that was what you wanted to do and you did it and it's yeah been so healthy and helpful I, I think yeah that's I knew really I had cool. friends here and I think I got to a place where I was like <laughs> I need friends. Like I need people to be around people. This isolation thing is not working so great. Um, and I had a handful of friends here. So I said, let's just try it and <laughs> I'll leave in five months if it doesn't work. And then I've almost been here two years and I still have lots of moments where I'm like, maybe I should just move. And even last night I Googled, should I move? But that's just the anxiety in me. That's like very afraid of human connection because mm-hmm. deep down, I think it's going to hurt me because building a connection with my dad ended up hurting me. I think we both have this thing where if we, if someone like texts us or if there's some opportunity or some social event where we're going to be in contact with someone, even if we want to do it, even if upon doing it, we really enjoy it and are glad we did. There's just this like aversion, this block. And Oh yeah. I I feel like I relate to you in, in that way. Yeah, um, that's even so if, strange. Even to if me. my pain came from a different source, you know, because mm-hmm. dad didn't affect me like he affected you, but I, I feel like I get it, and it's it's hard because you know the people around you might not get it, and they might get mad that you know you weren't that responsive or don't seem to be like connected, or at least this is what I've experienced, and it's it's sometimes it's hard to express that you no, know, I really do care. It's it's again like it's not you I don't want to connect with it's me just having a hard time connecting yeah it's that we've never seen ourselves connect with people so we're scared of what that looks like and what that'll bring out in us even the even if we 
deep down know it will be good and Mm -hmm. nothing too terrible will happen if we ask how someone's doing internally we just alarm sirens don't do it (laughs) (laughs) don't answer that text message wait five minutes i don't know what will change in five minutes but i still tend (laughs) to would you guys say i feel like um that sometimes when people are under stress they either or they feel attacked maybe you either come out swinging or you withdraw and shut down. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, like I'm the withdraw and shut down kind of girl. <laughs> and I like, and I want to be the one that comes out swinging because I want to be strong and I want to stand up for myself. But I'm just curious, where do you guys feel like you fall in that? That's funny that you're a isolate yourself kind of girl because I'm the same way. <laughs> I, I think about that daily, how I wish I could approach conflict or any interaction with, oh, put my foot forward and introduce myself. But I really just retreat, and I'm one of those, oh, if they come over and talk to me, then I'll talk to them. But if they don't, I'll just stay over here in the corner kind of person. Yeah, I think I'm the same way. I think I also <laughs> learned that, that uh, just a, a huge fear surrounding conflict, and it's a, it's a hard thing for me. And I think it was learned also from another parental figure of ours that, you know, if the, if you did even dare to have any disagreement, you were going to get stomped on. Yeah. You pay. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, definitely from a young age, that's what I associated conflict with. And on a deeper level, what I associated human connection with on like a mm-hmm. more troubling level. And so it's kind of a wound we both share, but just in different ways, I guess. Yeah. I think that's so interesting because childhood is when you're supposed to learn how you build connections with people and how you communicate with people. And if my only source of connection with my dad is on his terms, Mm -hmm. I kind of learn to move throughout the world on other people's terms. And similarly with, uh, with our other parent, you had a relationship, but we never all had a family relationship. Right. Yeah. There was never like a group love. Yeah. So that was frustrating because now when I'm in a group of friends, I often think that they dislike me or they're better friends with each other than they are with me. Mm. A a great story of this was uh, recently me and a group of my friends went to um, where our summer camp is. We met at summer camp and we all went up to go thrift shopping. We were walking around this antique mall Mm -hmm. and I got separated from them and my brain just started spiraling down and it was like telling me that they ditched me and they were talking about me and they didn't even want me to come on this trip just like outrageous things like these are my closest friends and we finally met back up and I found them and I was doing deep breaths and I was like don't say anything about how anxious you feel it's okay like just let the moment pass and move on into the next one and then they looked so excited to see me and my friend Eileen held out this glass um, jar and it had sunflowers all over it. And she said, I saw this and I just had to get it for you. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, come on, anxiety. Like, you had me worried. <laughs> nothing. Like, they weren't talking shit about me. They were indeed buying me a gift. So <laughs> oh, wow. it's just wild how anxiety will take you in a situation to a completely different world. I love that you got but- that experience that just really sharply contradicted all the, you know, the monster in your head that was telling you these things and these old beliefs that just aren't helping you that because I'm the same way and 
maybe it's harder for you, but I like when you see, when you have a group or especially if other people seem like they're really close, it's like a threat. It's like, yeah. you feel like, Oh, I'm not the, I'm not the one they're close to. And yeah, it's like a hard mentality to break through. Yeah. When my friends talk about their other friends or, Oh, I have to tell you this funny story about what so-and-so did. I always tense up because I'm like, did I not do something funny enough? Like, why are we talking about other people? But I'm getting a yeah. lot better about that because I just tend to focus on myself and talk about myself and wait for others to ask me rather than engage with others and ask them about their experience. But um, it's getting better as I'm, I'm learning that tool. Awesome. That's awesome. Do you feel like you guys were ever competitive? This is a loaded question. So you can say, Laura, we're not <laughs> answering it. But I'm just. Um, yeah. Not so much. Okay. I think a little bit, um, especially with dad, actually. I didn't know this until a couple weeks ago, but my mom told me that in the divorce agreement, dad um, was allowed to have Spencer on Wednesdays and me on Tuesdays um, just to have more time to bond after school. Mm -hmm. And he never got me on Tuesdays. He would only hang out with Spencer on the Wednesdays, but then I was allowed to come along every other Wednesday. So I always felt this this I that I was less than Spencer in dad's eyes and now that I'm older I know that he just has prejudices against women and he doesn't matter who we are he's gonna value the male more than the female yeah so growing up and learning that was so helpful because when I was younger I just didn't understand why I always felt less important than the men around me to my dad yeah but <clears throat> yeah and it's, yeah, I, it's such a weird entanglement of like guilt and love and confusion thinking back to that. Cause it's like, cause when he would tuck me in and say, you're going to pass on my name, like you're a blood. So you'll always be a blood. So mm -hmm. like he was making me feel special and yeah. I, I feel so awful for you that, you know, you didn't even, you weren't even in the position to be getting the love and questioning it. You were not getting the love. Yeah, you, you, but, but it's interesting because I, I got a lot more love from our mom, I think. Yeah. She really put me under her wing. I was her Taryn. She knew she wanted to name a daughter Taryn since she was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes feel this pressure of like, I'm the Taryn. I'm her Taryn. Like, what does that mean? Who am I to her? Um, but she did kind of just push this, I'm her creative, fun, loving child on me. And then I got older and I realized like, oh, what? she's proud of Spencer for grades, but then tells me that a B doesn't matter, a C doesn't matter. And it was just confusing to see that we had different standards. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of our gender. Well, we got boxed in. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we got boxed into these different roles and I feel like we were both coming up with just these like absolutely conflicting vicious forces on both sides of us and mm -hmm. tangled in misogyny and misandry and it like that conflict was just like really hard to reconcile and I don't think there was any going to be any like healthy outcome yeah how did you guys both because it sounds like you were boxed in and I'm just wondering, how did you get out of that box? Like, how did you discover, like, oh, this is who I am? And kind of own that. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, I think my it? journey through that was a lot more public than 
Spencer's was I Mm -hmm. stopped shaving my legs and I stopped washing my hair. (laughs) And that's how I learned what femininity was and that I can be hairy and stinky um, and still have eyeshadow on and still think that I'm beautiful and feel beautiful. Um, So I think it really just took getting naked in front of a mirror and standing there until I cried and then until I laughed, cried again and then laughed some more. (laughs) And then it's just understanding who I am and in relation to what my family is. And, but ultimately I'm my own individual person and I have this life and it's mine. And I want to be involved with my family. I want to be involved with my siblings because I love them a lot. And we went through this same childhood, but we came out a little differently. So in a way, I'm grateful for everything that's happened to me because I have these really great resources of you and our other siblings that just I can say something to you guys about our parents and you just nod your head and you're just like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> we get it. It's just it just feels good to feel validated coming from a childhood where I didn't feel very validated at all. Well, I'm always here for you and I'm so proud of you. Honestly, I'm really proud of you that you seriously I'm, that you broke through that that you, I mean, you were put in the toughest spot of, you know, identity and being told what you can and can't be and not knowing how to receive love. And I think you've like done incredibly in just a few years and like you seem so much happier with yourself and understanding of yourself. I think it's incredible. I think it's really, really awesome. Thank you. And I honestly have the same compliment for you because a lot of times you say that you didn't have it as bad or you try to compare our experiences. But I think you have grown equally as much as I have because you, where I, when we were younger, opened up and I would tell every single person I met how I was feeling and Mm -hmm. how I felt sad sometimes, you didn't talk about it at all. And now that we're older you're talking about it more and you're doing this podcast and it's just amazing because I honestly, if you told 12 year old us that you would be (laughs) publicly speaking about mental health, I would say, no (laughs) No way. I don't believe you. (laughs) That's not going to happen. He's just going to impossible. He's going to be an an emotionless captain of industry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's how I felt growing up. You were always just this on this other Island and they had, didn't need calculators there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, I don't know if that was just a safe haven that numbers weren't going to hurt me because feelings were so unsafe. Feelings meant pain or what Mm -hmm. it was, but I've really tried to get more comfortable with, um, with sharing and being open and I'm happy about that, but I don't want to, I mean, but, um, I'm so impressed with how you've overcome that. Oh guys, I'm just gonna <laughs> fall apart here. This is so sweet. We're, we're Laura, you're our you're our uh, therapist. You're our yeah, um, brother, I'm simple, just watching, uh, like, sister, relationship counselor. Yeah, it's funny because we're doing this on Skype, and she's just sitting there and nodding, and I'm like tearing up. A- <laughs> <laughs> you have tissues. I have tissues. I got water and tissues before yeah. we started. <laughs> I no. started tearing up oh. when you were first talking. Um, when I don't know what it is, but it just gets me whenever you mention the TV and dads. Um, but all of that emotion, I think you're right. Like all of that, we can be even closer now having been through the things we've been through and there can be a silver lining in it. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Darren, I'm really curious, how have you, um, what tools did you use to become, to deal with your anxiety and depression and, and even just, um, I, when I relate to when you were talking about standing in front of the mirror, I mm-hmm. instantly thought body image because that's what I relate to. And mm-hmm. I think every girl like understands that because we do, we grow up around it of that being told that that's our identity and that's our value. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm just curious, like, how did you move through that and how have you found healing and self-acceptance? Education, through education, I just learning um, learning about myself and about others, what femininity is, what masculinity is, how you can have a little bit of both. Um, and I think talking with my family and allowing myself to be vulnerable has been the most helpful and just telling friends, just telling them my anxieties. I had a friend I was going to travel with once and we had to change the dates and I started thinking, I started spiraling in this, oh, he's changing the dates because he doesn't want to be around me. He doesn't even want to take this trip, blah, 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 down to the bottom. And so I just texted him and I said, I know this sounds wild and ridiculous, but do you like me? Are we friends? Do you want to do this trip at all? And he responded with the sweetest, like, it's totally okay. I'm glad you told me. Like, that's normal to feel that way. Like, I'm sorry that you're having those doubts, but I just want you to know that I care about you a lot and this trip is definitely happening. We're just delaying it a little bit. So just being honest when I'm anxious and when I'm depressed and telling people like, hi, I'm so happy to see you and I'm sorry if my face doesn't say that the whole time we're hanging out. And also if I cry a little bit, don't worry about it. Don't try and cheer me up. I honestly don't know why my body's doing that. So I love that you found friends like that, that have, I mean, that's that's really cool that have really been there for you. Um, yeah, a, little, a lot of my friends, how we've connected is by opening up about mental health. And then I find out that they're anxious too. And it might not be on the same degree as mine. Like we may experience it differently, but we can still relate to the effect that we have felt like we don't have a reason to live before. Yeah. and that's a really uncomfortable feeling. And to be able to share that you felt that with other people and get in response that they have too, it's just so powerful. So bonding, I bet. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I hope to see more of that in the world, honestly. I think mm-hmm. that's awesome and that's our mission, really. And mm-hmm. to, I guess, are you okay saying a little more about your anxiety? Because I think what you told me when we talked before was interesting that you sort of uh, through therapy got a little more of a handle on what specifically what kind of anxiety you deal with yeah therapy um and i'll say it again i'm so grateful for it because it just gives me a space to let what's in my head come out of my mouth and then there's more room in my head to handle other things like getting groceries and feeding myself um but I think getting the diagnosis of an anxious depression was really helpful for multiple Mm -hmm. reasons, Um, but mostly just because I had a face to it. I could put a word on it, and when I started feeling an episode coming on and I knew I was going to need to isolate, 
I could just say to myself, this is just a buildup of anxiety and now your body needs to be depressed for a little bit and that's fine. Just go do it. Just go watch a show or read a book and write it out. For everyone listening, could you talk about what anxious depression is where you actually do kind of sometimes need to be depressed? Yeah. Um, it's, I live in a constant state of anxiety. Every, from the second I wake up, I'm nervous to go brush my teeth. I'm nervous to open the door, every single thing. And it's not quite as dramatic as it may sound. It's, it's not completely debilitating until I have a day where I have a deadline to meet or I have a conflict with the student or something. And then I'm pushed into an episode because my body didn't, wasn't regulating the whole time. And mm -hmm. now it has to shut down to start over. And I think that's the most frustrating part is that I recognize that I am always anxious. And then when I get in situations that other people without anxious depression would be anxious in, if that makes sense, yeah, mm -hmm. um, it's heightened for me. And then that can escalate and bring on depression faster. Like this mm -hmm. morning, I... Because you get to your like capacity. Church. Sorry, you get to your no, like yeah. capacity to withstand the anxiety. Yeah, and I I honestly think it's a capacity of contact. Mm -hmm. I I don't like talking to people. It's very hard for me to formulate sentences and shove them out of my mouth. Um, and I think after a while, I I just need to shut down and be quiet and not have to do that not have to form sentences for a little bit so mm -hmm. that I can wake up the next day and do that so what does that look like sh the shutting down um it's it's so interesting honestly um as I've gotten older I can identify it quicker and quicker um sometimes it's where I feel my face I it's really hard to make facial expressions and show happiness or sadness even I just want to be in a neutral um, facial position and then I know that I'm probably not going to want to walk soon <laughs> I'm probably going to want to get in bed and be in a ball for a little bit and so it's really awesome when I can get home when I start to feel it coming on but sometimes I need to push through a little longer than is um, most convenient mm -hmm. um, but then when I can get home or get to a quiet space where I'm by myself um, I've done it in a bathroom at a party before I've done it. Um, You're adaptable. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but just being very quiet and very still and just listening to my head and the thoughts will be going very quickly, but it's always centered around one idea. And it's, it's a, cause I've been triggered by something and something has pushed me over the edge. Mm -hmm. Um, so just quieting it down, picking out what's repeating itself, what is hurting me the most right now, and then just putting love there and just saying, I know that was really embarrassing. You tripped in front of those people, but you don't even have a scrape. You're really fine. Nobody really cares. And that that's a real thing. That ha was the first panic attack I had in high school. We were running down the stairs, and I tripped, and I just couldn't get up. I just started crying and heavy breathing and I just didn't understand what was going on because it wasn't that big a deal. I just slipped and I was around my best friends. They didn't care. But for some reason, it just escalated and it turned into this thing that I didn't understand. And now that I'm older, I can see when it's going to come. And even if I'm going to be putting myself into a situation that might arouse 
more anxiety or depression, I can prepare myself. And as I'm walking into the meeting or the bar, I say, you're going to talk to people. You're going to have to form sentences, but you're going to be okay. And so it's helpful to just give myself a little pep talk. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm. It seems like what's I, been, it seems like you've gotten so far just with self-knowledge and really getting in tune with Taryn and taking away all the shit people have forced on you and said, this is Taryn and really mm-hmm. listen to your authentic voice of who Taryn is. Absolutely. And accept it. I think that's the big key. I, I know that like even I more recently I've been trying to do more meditation and, and the whole idea yes. behind improv. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the whole idea behind um improv is not judging what's coming out of your mouth and, and the thoughts and the creative creativity that comes out. And um and I'm just learning even day to day to not judge the feelings that I have or the thoughts that I'm having. And so if like I remember something embarrassing, being like, yeah, that was sucked. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that was really hard or something that made me that really hurt me. It's like rather than being like, well, push it away, push it away, don't deal with it. Just accept like that was painful and that really hurt me at that time. But I can move on. And that's so powerful mm-hmm. to not judge yeah. yourself like that. That's an important part of meditation, too, that a lot of people don't understand. Um, It's just, it's not emptying your mind. It's just letting thoughts flow smoothly and not picking one down and attacking it. It's just letting them flow through. And so really anything, not anything, but lots of different things can be meditation. And I feel like improv is a form of meditation because you're, you're taking yourself out of your brain and you're just strictly thinking okay let's just be random let's just be funny and help you organize your other thoughts Mm -hmm. Taryn you took the words out of my mouth I think that's (laughs) so that's literally what I was about to say that's so awesome about meditation that it's that central tenet that you know thoughts come and you just be with them don't judge them or suppress them try and control them just be with them being like oh yeah I'm angry or you know observe (laughs) Uh, take the role of the observer of the mind instead of just embodying whatever it is, the mind, whatever crazy trip it's taking you on. And that sense of non-judgment, I think, goes so far with not only how you feel about yourself, but others and social anxiety. I feel as if they're just intertwined, you know, your self-judgment and your judgment of other people and social mm-hmm. anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a friend tell me one time we were fighting and she said, I feel like you just sit there and judge every single person every thought that's in your head is just judging other people and I just responded with well (laughs) I'm actually judging myself (laughs) every single thought is actually judging myself and how I'm interacting with those people so it's not necessarily what they're wearing but it's did I compliment it well enough did I compliment it too much or not enough and that sometimes can be the most frustrating part is just did I ask them enough questions did I interact enough and okay no, that's great. I, I that makes total sense. My computer messed up, and then I had to Oh, <laughs> I thought the okay was like, oh, I'm should stop talking. <laughs> really? No, you're fine. Yeah, that was that was great. So yeah, there, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I'm just curious. Um, I think it's really helpful to know what your triggers are. Have you been able to understand that as you've gotten older and gone to therapy and figured yeah. that out? Yeah. How has that helped? By learning what triggers me, I've learned how to um, protect myself. And then after a conversation that I know is a trigger for me, even if I feel fine 
I'll make an effort to do more deep breaths or to tell myself I love myself just because I know that even if I consciously am not thinking, oh, that was painful, I know somewhere subconsciously it hurt a little bit to talk about that. So just to afterwards calm myself down, give myself a pat on the back for talking about it, it's it's helpful. I do think That's knowing cool. yourself and knowing your own triggers and what can push your buttons is a really useful tool and is really yeah. helpful for sure. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you've made a ton of progress with that. Like my perception is that you're in a much better place now than you have been in the past. Where do you feel like you're at in terms of grappling with all of this? Do you feel like you're in a good place or on the up or it's just, you know, an ebb and a flow and can change any day? A little bit of all of it. It's it's definitely an ebb and a flow. It changes every second, honestly. And I think mentally I'm in the best place I've been maybe in my entire life just because of all the knowledge I have. Um, but there's definitely still days where I don't understand what the point of being alive is or what the purpose of living is. So it's it's always going to be a battle. And I think an important part of the discussion is just realizing that if you have anxiety or depression, it's probably going to be there for the rest of your life. And mm -hmm. that's okay. Mm -hmm. Once you learn how to cope with it, you're golden. You're set. You know, if you, if tapping helps you, just tap away. If <laughs> yeah. some help, put a stick in your pocket every morning. Just learning your resources and what helps you mm -hmm. when you're dealing with mental frustration is yeah <laughs> i think yeah honoring those idiosyncrasies and what might help you is is really important and powerful like we talked in an early episode about this town hail belgium where uh people in the town will take the mentally ill into their homes and take care of them and there was one anecdote i heard on the podcast where i originally learned about hail called invisibilia where a family that had taken in this mentally ill guy was being interviewed about him and asked you know hey he every night he like takes the buttons out of these shirts and then every night um this woman sews them back and shouldn't you just stop him from doing that um that's crazy okay. and they talked about no you know that's really that is important for him that's his ritual and that's what he has been doing to cope and as as unfamiliar as it might seem, uh, everyone's coping mechanism or tendencies are going to be different and foreign in some way. And so I, mm -hmm. I do think there's something to be said for acknowledging that. And even if it doesn't make practical sense, even if someone's just tapping their fingers, um, you know, people uh, people have different ways of, of dealing with stuff. And I I definitely am all about respecting that. Yeah. Absolutely. We kind of took it full circle back to heal. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. I think that's a great anecdote about Hale because I found a lot of comfort in getting diagnosed. But then after a couple months, I had to really sit down and tell myself, like, you got to stop living in your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. This is true about you, but this is not the end of the world. We need to now start looking for the resources that will help you deal with it rather than just keep spitting out at people. Oh, I have an anxious depression. I have an anxious depression. Mm -hmm. Just say, oh, I'm not feeling that great today, but thanks. 
like let the diagnosis inform you, but don't let it limit you. Yeah, exactly. I think I've been telling less people about it actually, because I don't want them to attach whatever image they have of anxiety to Mm -hmm. me now. And after I had a really anxious morning because I presented at my church and uh, a member came up to me after who knows about my history and they said, that was great. Nobody could have known your past from that. You were so confident. And I was up there thinking that I was botching the whole thing. So just realizing that everybody, nobody knows your history Mm -hmm. or your mental health and Mm -hmm. it's up to you whether or not you want to share it and how you want to share it. And if you don't want to, that's, perfectly fine just keep it to yourself and yeah tap your fingers. <laughs> and everyone has a different reality everyone has a different perception and oh, really yeah. our realities are just it's not even really reality it's just a perspective on reality and i think there's so much value in hearing other people's perspectives because there are things that uh you just can't know from where you're sitting and yeah I mean, that's what we want to accomplish really is get those perspectives out there and let you hear them because I think there's so much value in me hearing things I disagree with or hearing things that uh, just I didn't perceive or didn't catch on to because I couldn't see it from my vantage point. Yeah. One of the phrases that helped me the most when I was at my lowest point was on a painting that my mom sent me and it said, reality is perception. And it Mm. just blew me away because I realized, wow, I'm perceiving my life as pretty shitty, but maybe if I shift it a little bit and realize that I am in control, I can fix it and change it. And I moved and I did. (laughs) Internal locus of control. It's like, it's not things that upset us or make us feel any which way. It's our thoughts about things. Yeah, absolutely. When I had my brain injury uh, for a long time, I was just stuck on that, that that had happened and that my life had changed and I was angry about it for a long time. And then when I started kind of working through it, like that happened, but that's not my end and, and there's more to life and I have, I have more control over my future than I thought I did because of this. Um, and that changed everything. So I, yeah. And I'm curious about how long that experience was for you did you spend a lot of time down in the gutter thinking that things will get better how quickly did your life change after you adopted that new mindset hmm. it was, I think it's just a process through each year and even even like this year I'm finally doing the thing that I've always wanted to do with my life and and so that's 10 years. So that's a long time. But um, but I, I just think it takes a long time to kind of get through those messages and to you just have to keep going and keep taking those risks and being willing to learn more about yourself and more about your situation. And you just have to be open. But yeah, I think it's different for everybody. <laughs> but for me, it's been 10 years. <laughs> and I'm so happy for you. I told you this when we were talking privately but I'm so happy for you like realizing what you really want to do I think it's so powerful and Taryn I'm so happy for where you're at and the perspective you have on all this stuff if you want to put a cap on this journey of mental disorder and everything you've struggled with and dealt with and grown through and overcome I've thought a lot about what I would go and tell you when we were young you know when you were staring at the tv or isolated grappling with everything but what would you go tell young Taryn 
I think I would tell myself, don't be afraid to just sit mm-hmm. quietly. I think I always had the TV on because I wanted to distract myself from my current reality. Mm-hmm. But I think I would tell myself, just just sit in some quiet and see how that feels. Do that more. Because it took me a long time to be comfortable with silence and being alone like that. It's okay to just be with yourself? Yeah, absolutely. That's the only way to get to know yourself. You can't get to know yourself watching TV or sitting in a bar. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can. <laughs> but those are different parts of yourself than the part you see when you're alone yeah. in the dark room. <laughs> Our world makes it really easy to not get to know yourself, to constantly look at your phone and Twitter and Facebook and Netflix and shows and music. Mm-hmm. You can get to know yourself as little as you want to. And I think that's really powerful, the idea of having the courage to take the hard step of just being with yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I like that outside it plays such a huge role in your healing process, or at least it sounds like it. it mm-hmm. It's like that for me. Like hiking for me, it just takes me out of everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm just that fresh air and just... yeah. You just you all you have to focus on is putting one foot in front of the other, and mm-hmm. it's it's the most amazing thing. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll hike that Appalachian Trail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would love that. <laughs> we'll start in Nashville and drive to the Blue Ridge Mountains. Yeah, let's get into the listener questions. We've got a couple things to address some listeners ask some pressing things as we finish up season one go into a break before season two and this question i know is is a burning one and uh gl gina 909 asked i admit i haven't listened as i boycott apple due to their protection of terrorist privacy is there another way to listen um yes yes <laughs> there is we have all of our episodes in mp3 form on our website you can go to redeemingdisorder.wordpress.com and you can find everything there we are working on another website just redeemingdisorder.com and are excited to have that when we get into the next season yes we, we kind of wanted to test out this first season before we went to all the trouble of creating this fancy website. But now that we know that there are listeners and you guys want it, um, I'm excited about this new website. And hopefully we'll get another, new ways to engage with everyone. And Zach Chong said, what topics that weren't covered this season do you want to discuss? Which I think goes with another question we got from Gary Hogan, which he said, not a question, a request. I'd like to hear an episode on hypochondria. Seems like it would go hand in hand in with anxiety for many. And I think that's particularly relevant after we just talked to David last week and talked about his crippling fear of death that he had throughout all of his life. So absolutely, I think that's a topic we would want to get into. And as far as other topics... Uh, yeah i i definitely want to do more on addiction i find that so fascinating mm -hmm. yeah um but i i think too i really would love to pair a a topic a mental disorder topic and a story with some expert's opinion i think that would be a cool format so we're definitely going to play around with a lot more formats and Mm -hmm. topics in the second season yeah absolutely and if you have any other particular disorders you really want to hear about and you're listening definitely let us know we love getting that feedback and it it does help us figure out where we want to go with the podcast i'm really looking forward to you guys talking about more 
mental illness and disorders because mm-hmm. you said in the first episode when you're not just going to be talking about anxiety to depression even though those are so common and probably the most common it's important to talk about the other stuff because it can really help break down the stigma if we get into some more yeah taboo type. yeah because it's almost i mean it's i guess kind of ironic that the disorders that are the most common and hurt the most people are also perhaps the least stigmatized just because it's known that people experience Mm. them. So depression, although there's still a stigma we really want to bust through, absolutely, that's our mission. Maybe not as stigmatized as some disorder you haven't heard of, or maybe just a less common one, maybe schizophrenia. So I completely agree. Mm -hmm. And then one last question from a listener, Colin Smith asks, what was the hardest part about the entire season? I'm so curious to hear your answer to this, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> Putting me on the spot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the hardest thing was balancing wanting to be present with someone and really hear their authentic story and get to the heart of what they're grappling with, with making a show and producing something. Because mm-hmm. we go into these episodes with a lot of questions we want to ask, a structure we think is going to happen. Even this episode with Taryn, we had we had a plan at some point, <laughs> but we just sort of ended up having a conversation that flowed more, which I think was better. But yeah. it's always a balance of balancing, you know, how you want to put this show together versus really being there with someone. And you know, they're talking about this now. Go with them. Be present. And yeah. I think that's something that I've I've been learning and I've gotten a little better over the course of the season. So I definitely want to take that ability to be in the now and hear someone and be completely authentic and present into season two. Yeah. What about you? Can I share? Yeah. Um, so this is different, very different from yours. So <laughs> I, the hardest part for me was probably, uh, I mean, not judging myself and as I listen back and I, you know, with my brain injury, one of the biggest things that was uh, taken away was my ability to for word recall. And so speaking's never mm-hmm. been my strong suit. I've always been more of a writer. So this was like so scary. And to top it off, I was doing it with this guy who had this huge platform because he was on some TV show. <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh, what am I getting myself into? So um, so that was scary. And, and I think too, I mean, even the first episode, I didn't even, I, I don't think I told you this, Spencer, but I didn't even listen to the last half of it because Your I half. just couldn't. Yeah, the oh, one wow. where you interviewed me because yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't listen to that and um, listen to my story. So then when it was put out there and we got like 7,000 downloads by now, I'm like, oh my gosh, 7,000 people listen to this story. And um, and so I think that was the hardest, but it was also the most rewarding because, yeah. you know, I, I think everyone is afraid to share their story. And when you do it, you'll be surprised with, the connection that you might make with other people and um, just the rewards that you we will get from that. Totally. It's, it's always harder when it's you and you see yeah. the value in doing it. I mean, I knew even talking about this interview with Taryn, um, Taryn, I knew it was going to be valuable and good, but it's harder when it's you and there's anxiety that comes up, you know, when you're going to be sharing your stuff. 
So yeah, I, I'm such a bad person to interview because I ramble and rant. <laughs> and then with these questions about mental health, I could talk about it for hours because no one ever asks you these questions. And I think we should all start asking these questions to our friends and family whenever we get the chance yeah. because it's been it's been helpful and really nice and it calmed me down a lot. That's what makes you a great person to, be able to, to interview. Talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Really, our our uh, second guest, AJ Mass, said, you know, there's always that saying, don't discuss, don't discuss politics and stigmatized issues in polite company. But why not mm-hmm. do that? that? That's how I. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard, and it we're averse to it. But mm-hmm. I think that's where you can grow. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious too to hear just how you've kind of grown in your perspective on mental disorder, Spencer, as we've gone through the whole season. Mm-hmm. Has it changed at all? Because I know when we started, we both kind of had certain ideas of what we wanted to accomplish and yeah. what we thought would be helpful to say, but has that changed for you? You know, we sort of reflected on this at one point, and I said that a lot of ideas have connected and come together, and I still feel that way that I've been able to relate certain ideas around mental disorder to others but i also think i've i've started to see this theme of sort of a need for a balance on so many of these issues and a need to find a middle way where we talk about the value of hearing other people's perspectives and i feel as if taryn and i are kind of like a microcosm of that where we share a reality but we have different perspectives that we can really learn from by hearing from each other's point of view and so i think finding that middle way and being open to hearing something you might not have thought of where i came into this thinking diagnoses are so limiting and awful and they really constrict people but we have heard from people dino andes and taryn who the diagnosis was useful it helped them understand things and so i i think through so many themes of mental disorder, I've started to see this pattern of a need for a middle way and a balance between whether it's go by the diagnosis or just go by the symptoms only or Medicaid or no, absolutely medication is the devil. Um, having that openness to other ideas, it just drove home seeing, the importance of that to me. Yeah. Not seeing everything is in terms of black and white. Yeah. Seeing the gray. Mm-hmm. Um, was there one interview that kind of stood out to you that shifted things for you? Or? I think this interview was the most personal. I think I was the most nervous about it going in <laughs> just because it's personal. But mm-hmm. I think the most good came out of it for me and my understanding. And I, I hope people will also get a lot of good out of it. Mm-hmm. What about, Taryn, did you have any interviews that you thought spoke to you or really compelled you? Man, I knew his name, and you just said his name a couple minutes ago. AJ Mass? Yes, yes. Mm. I loved that interview. Everything he said resonated with me, and my ADD usually makes me pause all of them a couple times because I have to go do something else. (laughs) But that was one that I listened to all the way through, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to listen to that again. Mm -hmm. He said some good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I really liked interviewing him, too. And Um, what about you, Laura? Did you have any, any others that were powerful for you? I guess that's oh, first man. one you mentioned that, yeah. you, <laughs> that you didn't want to. Um, yeah, that was so crazy. I, Because I, I, I really 
hadn't shared that with very many people. So that was a little nuts. Um, but no, I mean, I think everybody was amazing this season. I'm so grateful we got to talk to so many amazing people who were so brave. But actually, I, I do know uh, Michael McRae, his story that he read. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, just even thinking about it, it was so powerful to me. Um, and I think about it a lot, actually. So I, I'm really glad we got to have him on and for him to share that story about his suicide attempt and yeah. his family and the love that he experienced. That reason so. is so powerful. I mean, seeing tweets come in of people tearing up listening to it. Um, I Yeah, that was that was really powerful. The potential that we have here to have people share things that can r- really move people publicly. That's what excites me. Mm-hmm. Did you have any fears about this podcast when we first started? No, absolutely none. I was fearless. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's the crux of what this is. I think fear is integral to what we're dealing with. And this podcast is kind of about facing our fears. It's about these things are stigmatized because they're scary and they're taboo because they're regarded as negative and dark. And this podcast really, I think, is about redeeming that and facing that. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I was scared to share my story. I was scared to open up. I was scared that I wouldn't be good at this. I was scared that it wouldn't have the value I thought it would have. And, you know, David talked last week about the value in feeling what you're feeling, but still doing what you think is right. And that's, I think, my biggest takeaway is just feeling all that fear at so many different points and even doubt and still following through with this vision. And it's inspiring to see other people have that courage because I know everyone felt that. Every single guest we had on when they came and talked about their story felt that. And so I'm so grateful to everyone who did come on. And I'm really hopeful that they're going to inspire that overcoming of fear for everyone listening. I think the older I get, the more... I realize if I'm a little uncomfortable with something, that's a good thing because it's <laughs> going to stretch me like crazy. Yeah, and yeah. and also you get so many gems that you would never have experienced. And and um, and I, 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 I'm kind of addicted to taking risks right now because it's just so <laughs> exciting <laughs> to see what happens. I'm like, man, I didn't know that would could happen. And mm-hmm. let's try this. <laughs> so totally. it's really cool. Yeah. I think that's an awesome note to... To, to close out season one on it's been so fun it's been so good really really congratulations on this i think you're doing something amazing and i can't wait to see where it goes thanks for being thanks. a part of it yeah thank you love you um, love you too oh <laughs> i love you guys <laughs> i love you too laura <laughs> That's so funny i'll just tap that now so you guys can go off and do your editorial <laughs> stuff. It was great to meet you and yeah. you're yeah, welcome you in Nashville. If you're ever in Nashville, let me know. So I'm really excited that we're going to be continuing to take risks and hopefully keep this podcast on the edge of pushing comfort zones and sharing what's really valuable, getting through that fear to what can really help you all out there and continuing to share these personal stories so 
I'm really excited for season two. I'm so glad we're Me going too. to do a season two. You can look forward to it in the spring. And we want to hear from you about it, about anything you want to hear and see and yes. how you think we can continue to push this podcast forward. Please let us know. Yeah, and you guys can continue to reach out to us via Twitter or email. Um, we will have a new website coming soon, so we're excited about that. But thanks again for hanging in there with us. If you started from the beginning and you're listening to this last one, we really appreciate it. We would not have continued without you and your support. So see you guys again in the spring. Yep. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll see you in the spring and have more podcasts for you. But in the meantime, this community that we are building is here. And we're so excited to hear from you and keep this going.